0: You are listening to Rouge White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network.
1: To the Rouge White and Blue podcast. Uh, My name is Joe Pritchard. Oz Davis is on assignment, and his assignment is to find a computer that works. So, joining me is Rouge Radio's Robert Dalton, uh, also known as Dalts. Thanks for joining me tonight.
0: Hey, no problem. Thanks for uh, for for begging me to come on. No, I'm I'm joking. No, (laughs) thank thanks thanks for for appeasing to me being uh, begging to be on the show.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I would have gotten to begging pretty quickly, but uh, I, th- I threw out the bat signal <laughs> and uh, as quickly as I had done that, uh, we had a match. So that works out very nicely. Now, when you started becoming a CFL fan all these many years ago, did you think you'd need a meteorology degree uh, as well to know whether <laughs> a game's going to finish or not?
0: No, it's 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 funny. I mean, I've never been involved in a lightning delay I remember, I think, one of the first games, it might have been actually the first game that I went to. Uh, it was a Riders-Bombers game, and it it, it got rained, or, or it got rained out, or at least there was a rain delay. But back then, we thought that football players were tough, right, because it wasn't you know it wasn't like baseball where there was a little spitting rain where they'd pause the game for, for about five to ten minutes. No, they played right through, but me as a fan sitting in the north end zone at the old Winnipeg Stadium... No, I ran for cover. You know, 7 or 8-year-old adults didn't want to get wet. But uh, but uh, yeah, it was just kind of funny. I don't know if you're if you're meaning to segue into this game, but man there there was there was a freaking tornado one time I remember. And you could see the after effects of uh, I can't remember if it was Taylor Field or even in Edmonton. it was Edmonton and the Riders and I was like, "Holy holy crap, there was a tornado there and they're playing." And I mean, who am I to know? I'm, like, seven or eight years old. Who knows? The tornado probably touched down, like, three days before that game, but I'm thinking that it just landed, All right? So, yeah. No, it's a long story, long answer short here for you to keep keep me from rambling. No, I did not think I would be a a meteorologist uh, many, many, many moons ago.
1: Oh, goodness, because, yeah, we might as well just get right into it. Uh, The first ever shortened uh, game... Uh, was the Riders and Alouettes uh, ended in the middle or near the end of the third quarter with the Riders winning 17 to 10. Uh, we'll double back on the Calgary Winnipeg game because both of us are Bomber fans and we're going to definitely want to get into that too. But this is of course the big news of the week. Uh, apparently there was a new weather protocol that was agreed to in the off season and just nobody knew about it until Friday night. Uh <laughs> kind of a weird way to find out this, but I have it's, to say it, Isn't
0: but... that like isn't that completely CFL y? Like everybody says, oh that's so CFL. Like this is really so CFL, right? Like you, you have all these many rules that nobody really talks about until it comes out right? until you actually need it. Like that's that's the stereotypical C F L ish. Like you, you can't get any more C F L than that.
1: No, you can't and I, I love to use that phrase when it's a positive thing i i I don't like to use that phrase when it comes to being negative uh but there is a word that starts with a b that just makes me instantly just like uh dislike the person that uses it that i won't be using here uh but yeah it was one of those things that kind of came out of nowhere you see the the, we saw the players coming Mm -hmm. off the field and then all of a sudden we're finding out that this game might be over a lot sooner than anybody had given, given credit for. Uh, but taking a look at the policy itself, I can't say I hate it. I'm definitely in the minority there. But once you've gotten that far into the game, uh, I, I really don't like to see the players have to go wait an extended period of time to just come back out and finish a few minutes. Maybe... The maybe the end of the third quarter is too early for that. Maybe that could be a fourth quarter rule, but in general, I like the idea behind it.
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of touched on this on our most recent episode of Rouge Radio. You can you know, catch it out on iTunes. Uh, shameless plug, um, but I, I, I kind of like. Well, yeah, you you might not even think it's a good or bad rule, but it's it's set there for as a, as a precedent, right? So. As, as horrible as we think that that is, the CFL kind of, like, there's no gray area. Now, there might have been a little bit more common sense, but then, again, then that sets the new standard, right? So as, as crappy as a CFL fan and as crappy as a Montreal Alouette fan would feel after that game, because, you know, you know we always say, hashtag, no lead is safe, but we're just going to end it halfway through the uh, third quarter. But... It just kind of just see it just. I don't want to see it's a slap in the face, but I I just kind of think that maybe perhaps there might be a little bit more leniency towards situations like that. If Saskatchewan was up like thirty seven to seven, then by all means, and there's there's really no need to keep on playing. But this was a back and forth game. The Saskatchewan happened to have a touchdown lead, and uh, and to have it ended like that is just uh, you know it just kind of I, I feel dirty as a CFL fan saying that. Yeah, I just witnessed the CFL game that only lasted three and a half quarters, or two and a half quarters.
1: Yeah, I I don't think anybody's happy with the way things went down, uh, but I would have I have to say I agree with them setting a policy and then sticking with it because the moment mm-hmm. they start playing with it and saying well it, because it's this close. We're going to keep, we're going to stretch it to 90 minutes or 120 minutes. The next time you get that situation, even if the score is a little bit further, you get the complaint then that, well, you stretched the last one beyond the policy. What about us?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that, that. Like I said, that sets a precedent, right? And then anytime you play with it, you set a new standard and that you're going to have to abide by. Uh, but, I mean, don't do anything for this season because if you do anything, By chance to amend the rule during, you know, midweek, Montreal fans are going to be pissed and rightfully so. I think it might be something you have to review during the offseason to be like, hey, listen, you know, if it's for sure going to be like more than two hour delay and this is the point, yeah, there's no need for us to. But there were fans in Winnipeg last year's rain delay that stayed until like 1230 to watch a, a 60 minute football game. And it took like five and a half hours to complete. So, I I think the fans and attendance can can deal with it. You know, it's you know, it's not like there's going to be you know, there, I shouldn't say there's nothing to be you know, nothing to do in the stadium, but it's it's Montreal, and unless they have some kind of no return policy, it's Montreal. Just you know leave the stadium, get drunk, come back an hour. I'm not advocating for drinking and driving, by the way, but uh, you can, you know, leave for about an hour, come back and hopefully the, the game will start in time. But yeah, I, I I'm with you as much as it sucks. It's not something you play with, and I think it's something that they should review during the off-season.
1: Yeah, definitely take a second look at the time frame and when to apply it, but I like the fact that they stuck to the policy, even though, of course, we didn't know it exist- it existed until, <laughs> uh, what, 8 Central on Friday night? So, uh, But uh, Oz, uh, my, the usual co-host on the show, is a Montreal fan. He did have this one comment to make uh, that he's... He knows that the fans are irked about the stoppage, but it's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to the Montreal Alouettes quarterbacks because uh, the right side of the offensive line was just getting murdered by the riders pass rush. They may not have had quarterbacks to finish that game. Had the, uh, had the game not been stopped where it was.
0: Our old favorite, favorite quarterback, Kahari Jones, who was a MVP back in Winnipeg was I'm relatively I'm I, you can't see it but I'm I'm holding my fingers very closely that close to suiting up because yeah you're right I think uh, everybody from uh, Pipkin uh Schiltz and whoever they got would have definitely not made it past that that uh, that third quarter
1: well so that that kind of covers the the uh precedent setting game uh the Riders and the Alouettes. Uh, So do you think that if this game would have lasted four quarters, Montreal had a chance to come back or was the rider defense just too dominant that night?
0: Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back and, uh, you know, toot my own horn to say that Saskatchewan was going, was going to win that game regardless. I had predicted them to win that game. Uh, My co-host Tony Allen thought the same way. We just the Saskatchewan team is just a lot of fun to watch. You know, they they they're a lot more complete team than they were with Chris Jones at the helm. You know, uh, on the sidelines, um, and give maybe give credit to Cody Fajardo or give credit to Craig Dickinson for allowing uh, the yeah. offense to to spread its wings, so to speak. Um, I just didn't I didn't give Montreal a chance because without Vernon Adams, without uh, uh, William Standback. I, I just the fact that they were within seven at that point of the game was uh, to me in, in my opinion uh, a miracle on itself no matter how much the defense is pressuring the, the rider's offense at the end of the day I just thought that Saskatchewan was going to win that game whether they play full court, uh, four quarters or not.
1: Yeah, that's where I was at, too, on it. Uh, this Montreal team is kind of reminding me of the team from a couple of years ago. Uh, those teams that were in the 8-10, and 7-11 range, where their defense came to play every single week, but the offense was questionable whether they'd show up. Uh, this is one of those weeks where they didn't. And I don't think that the final score was affected in any way. Uh, But let's get on to a little bit of a lighter topic for both of us anyway. Uh, Winnipeg 26, Calgary 24. I have to say the ending of the game gave me flashbacks to the week before. I was sitting a little bit further away from the action this time around because I was in Toronto to see that one go south on us. I was happy to see, though, the Bomber defense step up this time around and keep Calgary from taking a second straight last minute game away from us.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's it, it, it's funny because we were just about to leave the the stadium. I had my wife and her friends. We were just about to leave as Calgary was going through that final drive. And literally as we're leaving, and we didn't do it just because we were afraid of what was going to happen. We were actually on, uh, on babysitter watch. We actually added the jet home anyway. Um, but as soon as we left, you know, we looked at the big jumbotron, and we saw Winston Rose grab that uh, deflected pass. And I was like, yes, I can actually breathe, breathe easier. Because there's nothing more stressful if you're leaving the game and you have to rely on the echo of the fans out of ig field to realize crap did they win oh crap we lost so that was kind of fun to watch and you know you know missing the you know the skirmishes after the whistle um after that interception i just i kind of wish i would have seen that live but uh no it was a lot of stress that was just a lot of weight was taken off my shoulders like i had something to do with it and uh so you know it was just two and oh going to the uh home uh, bomber home games this year so hopefully i'll uh, get more tickets because that was fun to watch
1: uh, it was fun to watch it got stressful at the end and it to me taking the whole game in it felt like calgary played better overall than the bombers did but the bombers got the big plays with the big kick returns and that's not something i expected to see out of calgary this year or any year for that matter is for them to have a part of their team that's not coming up big when it matters uh janarian grant with the two scores uh very impressive debut
0: yeah, and it's it's funny is that I I I didn't think like once they got to that point I thought okay Winnipeg's got this and 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 maybe uh, and they almost did because I think uh, a, uh, who was it Drew Olitarski had a had a pass in the tu- in, in the end zone uh, bobbled it at the last second to make it not count for a touchdown and and I'm thinking okay well we're getting the field goal out of this we could probably you know. Not rest easy, but I think that they got this, and it's not like they were taking the foot off the pedal. They just weren't getting the, the yards that they were used to, and and I think that's a huge credit to Calgary's defense, who really kind of limited the aerial attack, but at the same time kept Andrew Harris in check to make sure that he wasn't getting those those uh, yards after uh, after the catch uh, to being you know to, uh, to get them constantly on the first down status. Uh, where I thought maybe Calgary really lacked is Nick Arbuckle. As clutch as I called him on Twitter, there are many passes that were thrown behind his receiver. That, although probably believe I Mitchell probably not getting in game shape if he was playing in this game, probably is throwing him ahead of time ahead of his receivers uh, because there was a you know we always say that as long as you get the the your hands on the ball. Those are catchable passes. And 90% of the time they're true. But when you're throwing behind the receiver, you're not giving your receiver that much help. And uh, I think at that point, because that had been a constant, not only throughout this game, but throughout the, you know, the last couple of games where he's actually done that a lot. um, Once he fixes that, that's probably not going to be an issue going forward. But because that had been an issue you know, I think maybe the game was a lot closer than it should have been.
1: Yeah, because he definitely lacked polish, but you could see he was still making the right reads. He was identifying the Blitz. He was keeping the bombers from using the Blitz effectively against him. Uh, it, just a few a few times, though he made the bad passes when they could have really harmed the bombers and I'm thankful that he lacked that just that little bit of polish but I think he has a chance to be one of the good ones over the next couple of years
0: yeah and it's funny because we talked about this I can't remember if it was on this podcast or the last podcast but we're talking about what do you do if you're the Atlantic shooters assuming that there's a quarterback available because last year we everybody was like head over heels in love with Chris Trevler now here comes Nick Arbuckle, and we might not even we might not even get an option for for him to be kept. I mean, Bo Levi Mitchell could all of a sudden be become the the uh, the underdog story as far as being left unprotected for Atlantic.
1: That yeah, I mean. It's just the kind of thing that will happen when you eat up that much of a salary cap with your salary, and then they find, the team finds that they could replace you, maybe not quite replace everything, but get 90% of you for a third of the cost.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I and I think that's just, uh, you know, th- those are assuming that the salary goes up next year, I think that's kind of going to be, you know, nobody's going to... Re- really laugh at that contract but at the same time you're going to lose a really decent player and it's just a matter of who's got the most upside. A you, you guy who's already in his prime and probably has another couple of years in his prime or a guy who has yet to meet his prime and probably is actually looking like he's in his prime but still has probably another year or two before he's actually in that five year prime status
1: Right and whichever decision you make there's a right one and a wrong one at some point and you better guess right because <laughs> it's only your franchise for the next five years, right?
0: Yeah, unless you're Kavis Reed, then you just do whatever the fortune cookie tells you to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, just which is, in this case, hand cash over to Steph Logan, who's apparently found a new job, which really surprises me. <laughs> I'd, have well, thought, I'd have thought... Well, good on him. Yeah, I'd have thought being good, good involved on in him. I mean... that mess would have been the end of the game for a 38-year-old returner, but... Apparently he's got friends around the league.
0: Well, I mean, you, you like to say that and, and good on him because he didn't really show any signs of slowing down. I mean, we always, we always talk about, yeah, oh, great. He's 38 years old, right? And he's only a primary kick returner. Uh, He's not going to see that much, uh, uh, much of the ball on the offense, which he rightfully should have with that offense. But at the same time, he's still providing that team with excellent field position, or at least he was, and Ottawa really needed a kick returner because Devontae Dedman is probably, you know, who knows how long he's going to be out for. So, I mean, it, it sucks that he got caught up in a, mass, in, in a mess in Montreal, and, and a good chunk of that is his his fault, but it shouldn't take away from his ability on the field.
1: No, and we'll, let's go ahead and get right into Ottawa against Edmonton. Edmonton 16, Ottawa 12. Uh, it. Probably felt like the score should have been a little bit uh, of a wider gap than that, though, didn't it?
0: Well, I'll, I'll I'll be honest, and I missed a good chunk of that game um, because uh, my cousin was coming into town, so kind of had to not watch football at the same time. Although, you know, <laughs> it, so it just kind of worked out that way. Uh, but looking at the stats, Trevor Harris thrown for another three. Guards, having all those completions. Yeah, you would think so. And I think that maybe a lot of people are really taken away. Well, there's two things that you could take from this Ottawa's defense is still good, regardless if they're missing Jonathan Rose. Uh, uh, who else is like, uh, the name slips my tongue. Antoine Pruneau coming back from his first game. And you know that uh, that tie in because of the the media quote that came in from uh, Pruneau against Harris. That he was that he was gunning for Harris to make sure that hey listen we're still good without you, but then I got to thinking I was like well maybe maybe the old you know we always talk about good and bad Trevor Harris so, you know maybe this is the bad Trevor Harris the, you know the guy that puts up all the yards but just can't find the end zone and maybe the first six or seven games is just an anomaly aside from that first that one game against Winnipeg maybe that game's an anomaly and right now. We're, we're going to be looking we're, we're going to be finding out that trevor harris from years past is the trevor harris that edmonton got and uh, I, I i hate to say that because i like trevor harris as an individual and i love him as a player uh, but you know games like this kind of creep in on you especially when you have that uh that history and that experience of not winning the big game and not putting up the you know the w uh or not putting up the stats that you need uh but I mean, you know what? It's one game against a good defense. They got Toronto this week, so looking forward to see what kind of game that he's going to be able to put up against another former uh, team that he played for.
1: Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I've been kind of beating this drum all season uh, between... The lack of ability to get into the end zone and the penalties, I feel like Edmonton has the talent to be the best team in the West and make it clear that they are, but they just never seem to rise to the occasion and make the big play when they need to. Uh, or they make the play and have it called back. Uh, I do have to say again uh, that the Ottawa defense continues to surprise me. I thought that they were going to be in a lot more trouble than they have ended up being. Uh after everything that happened in the off season, uh, it just be good. It just be good for them if the offense could contribute a little bit more. Uh, but I guess really, what defense uh, would know Trevor Harris better than the Ottawa defense from having practiced against him for the past couple of years?
0: That's a fair point. That's a that's a very fair point. However, having said that, I think Trevor Harris has been in the league long, long, long enough. Enough. I think majority of defensive coordinators are smart enough. To have enough film on him to, to game plan for him, and if there is one team that is going to game plan a lot more, it is probably Ottawa. But I, stuff like stuff like that, I just, I, you know, if if Trevor Harris was a backup for a long period of time and just decided to sign his first year starter, I'd probably buy more into that. But like I said, just because he's been in the league for a long time, there's enough game film that any defense co- coordinator can uh, can defend against him.
1: All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to the final game of the week. B, uh, BC going into Hamilton and almost pulling off the upset, but Hamilton comes away with a one-point victory. you got to feel for BC. Uh, they've been very, very close to get some very, very good teams. They're a lot better than their record says, but they can't put anybody away, can they?
0: I, I am a component of... You are what your record is. So, BC, for, for I know it's easy to say, well, they're a lot better than the record. I think they're one in seven because they're they're a one in seven team. There is a lot of things that they do. That one in seven team, like everybody says, well, it's a close game. It's a close game. Outside of four games that they've lost, three three of the games that they've lost could have been turned into W and that very well could be a four and three record or a uh, quick math is uh, just lacking energy for me to do so that doesn't make uh, that doesn't make sense to me quickly um they they very well could have a an above 500 record based on those three games alone and i'm referring to the game against winnipeg calgary and of course hamilton but you're 1 in 7 because you're not doing something right. What are you doing? Well, first off, they're for a long period of time their offensive line couldn't keep Mike Riley upright. They haven't been able to get Deron Carter into, you know, you know, get him into the game action. You know, a couple of passes here and there, but great. They're but they're for like 15 20 yards a game. Like what what's Jeron Carter used to getting three or four targets a game with like 60 70 yards per game. And maybe a touchdown here. You're not gonna you're not gonna do that in this offense. And I and I don't know if it's the offensive line that's really the cattle, uh, uh, the the epicenter of this this issue, or if it's Jarius Jackson. Then you look over what they did last game against Hamilton, and I don't know if you were following our Twitter account. We like to live tweet during games, but I was like counting John White's hand, uh, his rush yards per carry, and for a long. time, and not completely ignoring him, but when you get a guy that's putting that's giving you first down coverage, first yard in production constantly, just give him the ball. Give him the ball. Not only that, not only are you getting first down in production, you're taking valuable time off the clock. Really really need to take a hard look at it. And I don't know if that's Mike Riley wanting the ball or if it's Jerry Jackson making the incorrect calls. But then you, the one thing you've got to give them you, know, you you really have to feel sorry for them is that they had that game and then an unbelievable miss illegal block call on that punt return setting up uh, the Tiger Cats first and uh, 10 deep into BC territory and it's like you couldn't write that crap up and it's like at that point you knew that no matter what would happen after that Hamilton's got this game it was a completely unbelievably missed call at the worst of times
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I feel like they're a little bit better than what that record says, but they're still definitely not, uh, they're less than the sum of their parts, and they've been that way all season. I thought it was going to take some time to gel, obviously, with the new coaching staff, all the new talent, uh, and the fact that the coaching staff is very young as a group, uh, I just didn't think it was going to take this long for them to look even presentable, uh, I said I said at one point either two and seven or seven and two wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I, I'm in the area now where I'm surprised because they're not even gonna hit that bottom two and seven if they don't come up with a win this week.
0: Can you imagine how many people who predicted in the off season that B C was gonna be above five hundred and and fighting for the you know, second or third place? How I'm kicking myself because I I, I I had them at like 10 and 8 in my offseason predictions, and I'm not even going to come close to that.
1: Yeah, guilty as well, but I did think they were going to have a slower start and then be the team that nobody wanted to face in the second half. I mean, they still might get to that point where they're the team that nobody wants to face, but by then they may be so far out of the playoffs that eh, they're just the spoiler instead of uh, chasing down trying to make a make it to a home playoff game
0: yeah well put it this way their lone victory this year is because uh chris rainey conceded a single in in involuntarily so you literally won a game because toronto conceded it to you that's essentially what i'm looking at it as you like everybody says well you're that close to being four and three or four and four no yeah but you're that close to being oh and eight <laughs> so yeah. literally that's you're that close to being zero and eight.
1: Yeah, I would say two and six or three and five wouldn't surprise me with this team. Had if we were to do it all over again, but nothing more than that. They just they're not as together as they could very well be. Uh, now going to going to the Hamilton side of the ball. This is the type of game they had to count out and win to try to keep their momentum going after the loss of Jeremiah Mazzoli. Uh, Dane Evans is not playing that poorly. You could see this team continuing to run away with the East uh, if Montreal can't get there, can't get things back together with Vernon Adams coming back.
0: Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, this is the game that they needed to win to, you know, to, to boost his confidence. However, at the same time, I think if there's any other team, Well, from the West. I think if there was any other team going in there, I think we're talking about a different story. And I think we're not talking about a high-score game. and I also think they were probably talking about that road team winning. Uh, And and I'm I'm just being honest right now just because I I saw a a lot of things that BC hadn't been able to do, and all of a sudden they just did it at will against a very good Hamilton defense. And at the same time, they were very there is a huge, you know, a lot of patches where that offense just wasn't seeking up uh, after the first quarter. And I thought if BC can hold us up and it looked like that, they were um, that, that, that game was going to be ending again. That's uh, I, you know, if, and you know, to, to play devil's advocate, I think just that if there was any other team and it's unfair to say that to a team like Hamilton, who is a very good, solid, uh, complete team. But at the same time, I just think that maybe it's, you know, if there was a different team going in there you may not have been that lucky
1: no we can't, you can't you you're probably not going to be able to bring your c game against very many teams from out west bc is probably the only one you're going to pull that off against
0: yeah but
1: okay we'll go ahead and take a quick right. break here and we'll get to the week 10 predictions in just a moment back and we're just going to go ahead and start right away with the game that uh, uh, both you and I are probably looking forward to the most but simply because we're bomber fans and we'd love to see the team take another step toward winning the West BC at Winnipeg uh, Thursday night
0: I'm a superstitious mofo and, and you've, you've listened to our podcast and any, anybody that listens to this show if you listen to reverse radio you know that me being a hardcore bom- bomber fan I tend to pick against the other team because I just, I just can't do it right. It just makes me look bad sometimes. That's why I have such a poor pick'em record because the Bombers have been winning, but I've been picking against them so much. Um, proof in the pudding here is that I, predi- I predicted Ham- uh, that, that the Bombers would be Hamilton in Toronto, and they lost. So <laughs> that, yeah, that, that so that happened. So you can blame me. Um, but I I, I I like BC coming in. And the reason why I'm going to pick it is a little bit more technical around this, is that as we've seen this season, and as you, you and I are Bomber fans, we've seen in years past, there's there's been teams that come in with poor records and that the Bombers should absolutely annihilate or at least run away, win easily. And then, you know, someone has the game of his... I mean, we saw the BC Lions offense... Uh, Run really smooth against Hamilton, and that's a very good defense. I'm still concerned about the BC Lions' defense. Adding Sean Lemon, I don't really think adds that much of a pass rush on that side because I, you know, it's easy to run against. And what better team to run against BC than a team that has Andrew Harris, which is having a phenomenal season. I, I honestly don't think anybody's really talking about Andrew Harris as much as we should be i mean granted he is like the backbone of that offense uh uh, at the same time it it would just be typical bomberish for bc to come here or at least for them to lay an egg and then bc to just come around you know run away with everything um so that's my thing around this one winnipeg should win this quite handily but me being superstitious i'm kind of leaning towards the bc side
1: wouldn't it be the most bomber thing ever though for them to finally convince you that they're be- they're going to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat and then lay an egg in the playoffs? Wouldn't that be the most bomber thing ever?
0: That 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 reminds me so much of the 2011 team. Just as long as nobody mentions Swaggerville, I'll die a happy man.
1: <laughs> yeah, they didn't draw the best situation going into that Great Cup, uh, going out to, out west to the home stadium of their of the team that they're playing, yeah, no that that's that's just bomber luck for you right there. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though for years and years and years that wasn't actually a good thing to be hosting your own Grey Cup. Nobody was winning them until well the Bombers showed up and helped out with that. Um, <laughs> I see the Bombers winning this because if they they're the more cohesive team between the two of these. BC still hasn't figured out who they are, and they haven't figured out how to bring it together. And Winnipeg's had it together except for a couple of different small spurts during this season about as well as anybody. So if the Bombers play their game, I don't see a problem there. Uh, They did their big loss in Toronto was simply because they let an inferior team back into the game and they couldn't figure out how to remind them that they were the inferior team once Toronto got some momentum behind them uh, it was it was just a matter of time whether they caught him or not unfortunately it was right before the end of the game and not right after unfortunately but uh, I could see a similar situation uh, come about if the Bombers let their foot off the gas at all here because you don't really want to do that against Mike Riley you start giving him some time given them some time to make some reads make some throws and the deficit goes from a large one to a small one quickly i don't want to see the team try to have to bounce back from that
0: yeah it's just uh i mean it's uh, it, it, in my experience and I, i'm i'm not trying to sway away from my pick it's in my experience when you have that much of a close game and you're literally that close to winning sometimes there's an emotional drop off right so maybe the first quarter bc will just get like absolute crap kicked out of them and then finally they'll find their mojo and then by that time it might not be late or it might be too late but but this game could go many 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 different ways and i'm still going to stick with my bc pick (laughs)
1: probably the wise move considering what happens when you pick the bombers so i'm not going to try to talk you out of that any longer uh let's go ahead and talk <laughs> about edmonton and toronto uh again a game where i feel like there's one team that has their stuff together and one team that doesn't and as long as the team that has their stuff together keeps it that way uh this should get ugly quickly i've got edmonton in this one and i'm not even going to question it because even with the way the Trevor Harris-led offense has gone this year with lots of the short passes, moving the chains, grinding things out more so than going for anything big. Uh, the Toronto defense is the type that you can make big plays out of those short play, out of the short passes. So I could see this one getting ugly pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and well, at the same time, I think there's there's many different things that these teams have in common, and both of which are they like to get in each other's way and or their their own way toronto no offensively they get in their own way because they just can't seem to find a consistent way to get darrell walker the ball uh for edmonton it's the penalties right so you know if they if one team stops getting penalized all the time they can run away with this if toronto figures out how to use darrell walker in a in a fashionable way then They can make this a little bit closer, and sometimes in games like this, I I still like to go with the better team, and that's why I'm going to go with Edmonton too. But I think this has the potential to be one of those nail biting finishes where Toronto probably puts the fear of God into Eskimo Nation uh, on Twitter, and but I think Edmonton still pulls it up because at at, at the end of the day, they're still the better team.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't mind Toronto putting the fear of God in them uh, myself, but I, I. I'm not seeing it go going that way, but I can I can sure I can sure root for it, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it was it would be kind of fun to see Toronto go on a two game winning streak against two of the three top uh, Western teams.
1: Yes, and then we sit here and try to predict how this stuff goes, and then and then the seat, and then the football guys just sit there and laugh at us, right? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Hamilton and Ottawa. Uh, I've got Hamilton in this one simply because I believe their offense can produce points from time to time, and I just don't have that same kind of faith in the Ottawa offense. Uh,
0: I I have faith in the the Red Blacks defense. I just don't have, have faith in the other parts of the team. And what makes Hamilton a little bit more lethal is their special teams and their defense can produce points almost at will and not necessarily pick sixes or fumble recoveries, but they can at least force the ball turn uh, force the ball over deep into enemy territory and I think with a young quarterback like Dane Evans Who's probably you know who's probably going to have a lot of he's going to view he's going to see a lot of Michael Wakefield he's going to see a lot of uh, Avery Ellis uh, he's going to see a lot of Antoine Pruneau on a safety blitz I can see that but at the at the same time I just defensively the the, the battle between Hamilton's defense against Ottawa's offense is just widespread widespread. Is a lot that that gap is a lot bigger than the gap it is between Ottawa's defense versus uh, Hamilton's offense. And I think the difference maker is uh, this is a special team, so I think Hamilton takes the edge on that one. So, um, Dane Evans might come down to earth after, uh, you know, after coming back uh, from that uh, miracle game last week, but sometimes again, you know, to not to be a broken record. But sometimes you have to be you have to pick the better team, no matter how, you know, how many players one team is missing, the better team often wins. And I think that's Hamilton.
1: Yeah, and I could see it. This one even being similar to Ottawa's game last week in Edmonton, very low scoring, but it'll feel like Hamilton's in a lot more control than the score would indicate at the end. Uh, That's the way I feel like that one's going to play out. One more here. We've got Vernon Adams and William Stanback potentially coming back, but they get to face Calgary on their first game back. And sitting here hoping that Montreal can keep things together. I'd have picked just about anybody else and anywhere else for this game to have happened.
0: (laughs) And we, everybody was told that Bo Levi Mitchell was going to start this. uh, Apparently, Apparently he might. He might not. Uh, according to Mark Stephen, the, the play-by-play uh, for the Calgary Stampeders, uh, he it's not a sure thing. So that's like a, a, a game day question, I guess. But I, on, on my show, I picked Calgary. Uh, even the even the the pleasant news of uh, Nick Arbuckle starting his uh, his fourth straight game or not fourth straight game. Again, math is not my strong point on this Wednesday night. Uh, but Nick Arbuckle making this start, start again. He's got so much confidence. I I just, you know, you know with B.J. Cunningham breaking his wrist, uh, gone for the foreseeable future, I think he's even, even gone for the season. As much success as Quan Bray has had, Eugene Lewis, Calgary is just too much Calgary compared to that. And uh, Vernon Adams, as as good as he's looked and you know he's made me look good because I picked him uh, first overall in our fantasy league draft and he's, he's been a pleasant surprise and, uh, and and it's made me look look happy and it's uh, given me a lot of bragging rights but at the same time you know sometimes when you come back from that kind of issue you're missing you know you're, you're missing a good solid stud in the receiving core uh, William Stamak's coming back but again is he game-ready against Calgary, who relatively kind of came by unscathed? I think they're relatively healthy compared to what they were going into Winnipeg last week. Uh, so I, I, I just don't see Calgary losing this one, and in fact, I think maybe Calgary might run away with this one early.
1: Right, and coming off of that loss last week, too, you, you, you just know they're going to come out fired up they could get out to a quick lead and then just do what calgary does sit on top of a or, or has done over the past few years anyway it have a it's have a smallish lead seven to ten points that feels like it's 50 because that defense just decides nope nobody's scoring against us today
0: yeah it's uh and, that, and that's typical calgary right it's just they you know sometimes they'll 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 take the foot off the gas uh, the foot off the the gas and uh you know just kind of play lower them to their opponent's level and then sometimes they just decide now nah, we're we're going to put up record points or we're going to put up record yards against or something like that. That's just t- so typical Calgary. I think this has the the possibility of being one of those games.
1: Yeah. And like like we were talking about with the Edmonton Toronto game, we can root for the other thing to happen, but it feels like It feels like the expected is about to happen. So, uh, with that, uh, any final thoughts for this week? Uh, anything that sticks out to you as something surprising or anything that you could see happening that, that may not jump out to people at first look?
0: I don't have anything like that. I just don't want it to rain. Please don't rain. (laughs) That's
1: Yeah rain 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 go away uh we can keep the lightning storms out of here too because i'd like to see four full games if we could possibly help that
0: and and you know what they've been very good games too it's like the first six weeks there's been at least like one close game and then the other one have been blowouts and kick returns galore and then all of a sudden the last three weeks they've just been nothing but close games you know it's like literally like, you know, haven't seen a, a, a lead uh, switch other than the last Hamilton B C game uh, as much as we're, we've been accustomed to. But they've been close games. So, for, for the weather to ruin that fourth close game, it just kind of, yeah, I just echo my sentiments I said earlier in the program. I just feel dirty. And I just want four full, rainless, lightningless games that are competitive down to the final whistle.
1: I'll take three and one blowout on Thursday night. I'll be okay with that just to keep my sanity intact. Uh, But I (laughs) I will agree. I will agree with your general sentiments here. Uh, Let everybody know if they don't already know, of course, where they could find you.
0: Oh, well they can find me in Winnipeg But I'm guessing you're, you're referring to the podcast uh, You can find uh, the, the podcast We were very active on Twitter At Rouge Radio And of course on Facebook At uh, facebook.com forward slash Rouge Radio uh, Our podcast you can find it On any kind of podcast app That you have uh, We just uh, announced that uh, We're about to announce actually So your viewers are actually the first people I'm talking Your viewers, your listeners Are the first people We're available on TuneIn Radio uh, so that's awesome. Um, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. We fixed that issue uh, and pretty much any podcast application. Um, our website, you know, we launched at the beginning of the season, is under uh, construction at this point, uh, but it is set up to be rougeradio.ca. Uh, hopefully, we'll get that back up and running by the end of the month.
1: Yeah, under construction, just like every road in Winnipeg, every time I visit, right?
0: <laughs> looking, looking forward to seeing you again for our our, our yearly coffee uh, coffee breaks with uh, with uh, John Hodge.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, that's only a couple weeks away. Uh, good goodness, it's what three weeks away? My God, this year's going fast.
0: Yeah. Usually, usually we we get that feeling probably around week fourteen, and now we're at week ten, and it seems like oh my God, great cups just around the corner just
1: yeah it's and we're gonna have quite a race for the great cup looking out west uh four teams four teams are separated by one game this is going to be a fun one but uh we will let you we will let you get, we'll let you go and we will talk to our listeners next week
0: thanks for listening find more great shows like this at CF Pod network on twitter